will know with that. I don't really know what I would talk about for three hours <laughs> that would be at all interesting to anybody. The interesting part is the hardest part. Talking for three hours, anybody can do that. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, was there, was, did people actually want to listen to what we're talking about? Yeah. I was like, ah, maybe not. Yeah. And so I actually found you from, obviously, from the Ferndale Dance Academy. That started in 2003? Mm-hmm. Wow. That must have been a journey, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it has most definitely been a journey. I mean, a very unexpected journey. I mean, I, honestly, I w- we thought we were going to live here for like two years. And that was it. My, we moved up here because my husband was going to HSU, now Cal Poly. And we thought, oh, we'll be, you know, we'll stay a couple years and then we'll move. And so... I needed something to do, and I was a dancer, so I thought, oh, I'll just start, like, a weekly dance class. And I, that was going to be it. And then it just kind of kept going. So it was not, like, part of my life plan. I never had any idea about owning a dance studio or really even teaching dance per se. So Had you taught it all before that? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I've been teaching since I was 16, I mean, it's just kind of what happens. You know, you grow up at a dance studio. Once you get to be a certain age, you're usually recruited to assist classes. And then you eventually maybe teach a beginning ballet class or something. When I lived in New York, I worked at a dance studio. So I I had definitely taught dance, but it was always as a way just to earn money, you know, in the field. And kind of supplement your career in and, dance. Exactly. It was not, it was not a, a career path. So a bit of a shock to end up here, what, 20 years later? And be like, oh, I guess this is just what we're yeah. doing now. And like we literally every 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 year or whatever, we'd be like, yeah, where are we going to – we're not going to stay here, right? We're going to go. And then we would t- talk about, oh, well, where could we move to? And we could never come up with anything, so we would just stay. So I mean, that's how it – that's how it happened. And um, I don't know. It's funny how life works out. I think Humboldt kind of has that grasp on people sometimes too, where you just, you come here and you're like, oh, this is kind of a cool spot. And then Mm -hmm. you blink and it's 20 years and you're like, I meant to move at some point. And Mm -hmm. then now I'm just still here, still living in Humboldt. Yeah. And the thing is, is that you get spoiled for certain things like natural beauty, uh, no traffic. That does help. Um, You know, certain things like that, that Once you've lived here, or at least in my experience, now that we've lived here for so long, when we go back down to Southern California, we we think to ourselves, oh my gosh, could we really live in this environment again and have to deal with traffic or, you know, all the cement, (laughs) you know? And so it's, it really, you become so used to it and just the clean air, the quality of light. Starts that up. Mm -hmm. All the green. Just the natural beauty. Yeah. Especially, so you came here from New York. Well, no, I mean, I'm from like the Central Coast area. My, actually Napomo, which most people have not heard of, but that's actually where my family lives. And um, I mean, I've lived a lot in New York, but I was, we were both in that area right before we moved up here. Napomo, was that in California? Yeah, it's around, it's like south of San Luis Obispo. Okay, I've never heard of that. Yeah, my family is like, I don't know how, like Santa Maria. We were like, I don't know, several generations of Santa Maria, you know, doctors and dentists and this kind of thing. And so I have, I had a lot of family in Santa Maria and my parents bought 
property in Napoma, which was like, I don't know, 15-minute drive from Santa Maria because my dad was the um, film teacher at Allen Hancock College. So was it kind of a surprise then when you went and decided, I want to do dancing? Like, this is the career that I want to go down. I don't think so. I mean, I, my my father, I don't know. I came from a family that appreciated art. So my my grandmother, my maternal grandmother was a dancer. She was one of those, you know, like dancers in Hollywood, old Hollywood movies, like Paramount um, Parade, you know, those Koreans. So she was one of those dancers. And uh, her mother had like run off with a circus back in the 1800s or something. <laughs> I think it's in the blood. And then, uh, I mean, my father loved film. He loved to write. And wrote a novel and a lot of uh, short stories. And I had a great uncle that loved to play the piano. So I don't, I, we just, I mean, it was never like a thing. It was like, okay, that's what you want to do. That's what you love. Great. Do it. Go work hard at it and get good. I mean, I was really, really lucky. Yeah. Family that supports you can make or break your career choice, especially if it's in a non-traditional career like oh I want to be an actor or I want to go dance or I want to be a musician your family stems from this background of no we're lawyers this Mm -hmm. is the route that we go down or no we're dentists like you need to go into the family practice Mm -hmm. that can heavily dissuade people from going down the career that they might actually enjoy more Mm -hmm. yeah it can but they I mean I don't know (laughs) it's just funny I mean I just was really lucky you know and I think about it now and I was really lucky to have the father that I did because he was at all of my recitals and dance performances. He drove me to auditions. I mean, my mom as well, but I mean, he was there too. Just completely supportive when I, you know, auditioned for the Joffrey Ballet when I was, you know, just still a kid, like 14 and, you know, was going to go to New York for their summer intensive. He was the one who said, yeah, she should go. You know, she needs to do this. So I feel like I was really lucky to have two parents who were just incredibly supportive and just, I don't know, it was just never, it was just never, never questioned. questioned. Nope. And my sister dance was never questioned for her either. We just, they wanted us to do what we love to do. Was that summer internship with the Joffrey Ballet, was that your first real entrance into what this could be? Uh... Uh, yeah, probably. The summer before, I had danced with um, the Santa Barbara Opera. They had needed kids for—I'm trying to remember what the opera was. I don't know. But they needed kids in the chorus to dance. So I was in that. So that was really fun. Um, but it was around, I like, my senior or my freshman year of high school that it was, like, audition season. We'd have to go to L.A., like, a lot on the weekends to hit all the auditions for all of the various dance companies that were doing intensives. And so you just auditioned for everything and saw where you got in and then figured out which one you wanted to attend. And so that was that summer after my freshman year of high school was the first time I went away. And then I did, I went away every summer from then on. Was that kind of nerve wracking going (sighs) I mean, from the West Coast to the East Coast? No. Oh gosh, no. I loved it. No. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've always been adventurous. <laughs> I'm always like, let me get as far away from home as possible. I know what it's like here. I want to go see what it's like somewhere else. So, yeah, and it was two months. It was an eight-week program. And 
my parents put me on a plane with a woman who was like our chaperone. Her daughter was going and it was me and her daughter and I, a girl from Florida and another girl from Georgia, I think. We're all in a New York studio apartment together and she would take us back and forth to our classes. It was great. And so I would imagine these intensives are just that pretty intense. Oh, yeah. These are coveted spots, especially I would imagine back east and in New York. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it was classical ballet. I mean, that's all at that point in my life. That was it. That was like, to me, the ultimate thing. Why would you want to do anything else? That was the true dance. Of course, now I have a very different idea. But, you know, when you're young, you can see things in a very black and white way. So I was just very like uh, laser focus on classical ballet. So it was only ballet and it was classes. I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was five or six days a week, but I mean, it was all day long in a studio with no air conditioning, packed with dancers with these two, like, I'm trying to think how you just like beams that were, were in the center of the room that you'd have to dance around. And this little, you'd have to walk up this little narrow, dark staircase. And it was, you know, and then all the parents would be, and the dance moms would be crammed in there. And it, was, it was something else. <laughs> but it was great. And to be that young and going through that, right? Just mm -hmm. this opening of a new world for you. Yeah, coming from, I mean, Santa Maria, because that's where I was dancing. I mean, it, it's... I mean, it was an agricultural town. I mean, it was, and really, I mean, it wasn't urban. It didn't have that feel to it. It didn't have that mindset. And it was really a fairly small studio that I was at. And then suddenly I'm at this program where, you know, parents will literally move to New York City to further their children's careers. I mean, where you're in a room of people who are extremely ambitious. And, um, yeah, and I was definitely a very small fish. <laughs> so wait, it's a good experience. Was everybody pretty supportive or was it kind of competitive and cutthroat because everybody's working towards this limited number of spots? Oh, gosh. I mean, it was really so long ago. I don't really feel—I mean, it is very competitive, but, I, I mean— I don't really remember feeling that way, per se, because there were just so many of us, you know, and it wasn't we were in. I mean, we once we were there, we weren't really auditioning for anything. We were just doing the summer intensive and taking the classes or at least I mean, we probably were auditioning in a way, but I just didn't realize it. I was 14. I was just taking the classes, you know, so uh, I don't remember feeling competitive with the other girls. I mean, and everybody was nice. I mean, I just don't remember ever having a problem with that. Ever feeling like there's conflict? Like, yeah, oh, I yeah, can't I mess just, up or screw no, this up. No. I have to be on all the time. No. I mean, it was hard. I remember it was hard for me because the classes were just really challenging. The teachers had high expectations. Some of them were just terrified me. <laughs> um and my feet would hurt, you know, hours and point shoes. And then they had this little, uh, this little kind of like practice space. I mean, because there were a couple of different dance studios. They had a little practice space next to the dance studio. So when I wasn't in class, I would go next door and, and work on all the things that I realized that I was not as strong in as I needed to be. So, uh, so I mean, I remember it pushing me. 
And I felt sometimes like I was behind because I wasn't from some a big elite dance studio. But I don't really remember feeling competitive with the other dancers. I mean, other people maybe did, but I just don't remember feeling that way. It almost just pushed you to try to reach the potential that you had. Yeah. I think it was more that like, oh, my petit allegro is not as fast as it needs to be. Or my pirouettes on point are not as strong as they need to be. And we had partnering classes and I, we didn't have that at the small studio where I was from. So I wasn't used to that. And that's, that takes, that's a whole skill in itself. So, I mean, it was, I had to learn a lot really fast. And when you were going through these intensives, was the thought there that this is what you were going to do with your life? Or were you just happy to be there and not thinking no, about what comes ex- next? Exa- I was, that was all I wanted to do with my life, <laughs> it was to be a classical ballerina. That was it. Were there careers in that? Was that was it a Broadway thing? Or where does, I'm not exactly oh, yeah. familiar with where um, you go with that. Well, I mean, I had my sights on a ballet company. I mean, I never really thought I would be as good to be in like New York City Ballet, American Ballet Theater. But there's ballet companies all over the country. So that was what I was envisioning. And are these traveling troops or it's more location-based that people would come to you to see your shows? Um, it, well, usually they'll have like a, a big company would have it's a season in its home city. And then they might go out to other areas. I mean, I don't really know what their touring schedules are anymore, but lots of times they'll go out to other areas and perform. I mean, that must have been a crazy life doing that. And at such a young age, you took your first ballet lesson at four? Yeah. And just to be sad. Be like, yep, I found my thing. This is what I want to do. No, not really. I mean, I, I always loved dancing. I actually have this, this uh, little drawing at the dance studio that I did in first grade where I drew a picture of a dancer, which actually, to be honest, I, my drawing skills have not improved, I realized, since I was six years old. Because I was like, that's actually not bad. I don't think I could draw a dancer any better now. But, um, and I r- had written, you know, I, I think I wrote, like, when I grow up, I want to be a dancer. I will dance for you. You know, one of those little exercises you do in first grade. And my mom had framed it. And so I have it at the dance studio. So I wanted to be a dancer. Um, and I remember doing show, you know, putting on little performances for family, but I didn't enjoy the work of it for many years. I, it didn't happen. It happened when I was 12. That's when I suddenly internalized a work ethic and pushed myself. Before then, it was just, you know, I enjoyed it sort of, but I still remember my mom having to be like, you've got to go to class. You can't We You said you would be there. You got to be, you know, that kind of thing. Was it a discipline issue or was it you just didn't like having to practice? You like dancing? It's just hard. (laughs) I don't know. I was a kid. (laughs) Maybe a little lazy. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, you know, or it's just like, you know, oh, I'm going to have to do all of those developes or all of this. It's going to be so much work and I don't feel like it. I don't I don't remember exactly. I just remember her sometimes pushing me. And I'm glad she did. You know, I'm glad she did because she probably just knew that. I loved it, and I was a kid, and sometimes when you're a kid, you don't always want to work hard yet, which is understandable. But when I was 12, that's when it changed, I remember. Like, it clicked, and I was like, I love this, and I want to work hard. I would get really frustrated if I felt like a class hadn't pushed me hard enough. 
And I would go home and dance, you know, like do extra releves and stretches and all this stuff to work on whatever I needed to. I was a very uh, determined, focused kid. What was the shift? Just that realization that I'm going to have to put in the work if I want to do something with this? I think so. And I still remember my dance teacher, Miss Anna, who was like a goddess to all of us. She was from Hawaii and she was so gorgeous and we all just idolized her. And I still remember her taking aside myself and two or three other students and saying, audition season is going to start and you can audition for San Francisco Ballet and this company and da-da-da-da-da. And this is what you should do to prepare. And I don't know what it was, but when she said that, I was like, okay, I want, I want to work towards that. So I must not have auditioned quite. It must have been a year or two before I actually did. But that's what it, that was the shift was that I realized like, okay, oh, you have to audition for these things. Oh, you have to, they're going to be judging me on these things. Oh, I better start to work at this because this is what I'm going to have to do if I want to dance as a profession. I think a lot of people can relate to that. You almost needed a goal, something to shoot for. And then it's like, okay, I know what I'm funneling my work towards. Mm -hmm. I have to audition. I have to do this thing. So I need to be able to perform at a certain level to get that. I think that pushes a lot of people in whatever they're pursuing is being able to almost visualize it or know that you're working towards something instead of just working in a box. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Because it can get scary. I mean, I don't know a lot about dance. I think my perception of it. Have you ever seen the movie The Curious Case of Benjamin Button? No, but I've movie. heard of it. It's a good movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a, I believe she's a classical ballerina in that. And she's dancing and it just seems like it's grueling. It's a lot of work. There's a scene where her feet are all jacked up because she's taping <laughs> up, you know, to put them in the shoes. And it's just, it looks rough. And so that's kind of my perception coming into this conversation is, it seems like the physicality of it is there, but there's also a mental aspect that might get brushed aside from the outside looking in. You mean like the mental discipline or? Yeah, just the... Because, you know, when you look at sports, it's easy to say, well, if you want to play basketball, you got to be, there's a physicality to it. And I think it's easy to see that with dance, but it's also harder to recognize that there's a mentality behind that, that you have to be mentally focused because it's going to drain you in a weird way. Oh, yes. You, I think. Or am I, I might just be spitballing here. No, no. I mean, well, I think it's actually like that with any I mean, I mean, with anything where you're going to be, where you're at least striving to be like in an elite tier, whether you're, whether it's, whether it's as an athlete or as a dancer or an actor or, you know, an opera singer or anything. I mean, it, it is so rigorous. It takes an, uh, an incredible amount of inner resources to be able to get to a certain level, and sustain it. I mean, a lot of people have the physical talent, but they just, you know, don't necessarily have the inner strength. It's hard. I mean, I th and so, yeah, so I, I think it's probably the same with, you know, with athletes, gymnasts. Just there's across an incredible the board when you get to that level. Yeah. But, I mean, even trying to get to that level, I mean, you have to be able to be very persistent and resilient and 
you know, and not everybody even wants to like go down that road, you know, it's not for everybody. Well, that's the thing. You could make a million dollars, but you have to put in the work of the people that make that much money. Everybody wants the money, but nobody wants to put in the work behind the scenes to get there. Right. Yeah. Story of life. (laughs) It's a huge factor. Do you think that that is attributable to your success is that you were willing to put in that work? You were willing to dance even after practice? to try to get better on things you recognized, oh, maybe I'm not the best at this certain move. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to practice that. Uh, I just think I was just so absolutely determined. I mean, I look back at like the, the young person that I was, you know, you with, uh, you know, with enough time, you can kind of see yourself with a little bit of perspective, maybe. And, um, I just think, oh my gosh, I was so determined. I was so passionate. And I just, I don't know. I was just willing to make whatever sacrifice I needed to make. Did that feel rare <laughs> back then? Or you you were just so focused on what you were doing? Uh, I think it felt rare in that, I mean, I felt different from my friends. Because, like... dance you know that always came first so if i had a class i wasn't going to go to a party i wasn't going to drink alcohol why would i drink those unnecessary calories i mean that level of thought process so i mean it was like i mean i just and that that kind of pushing did not come from my parents at all they never pushed me that was always just totally from myself they would probably have been actually fine if I had been a little bit more um, chill about the whole thing. <laughs> Did that cost you some relationships? Being that young and being in this age group where everybody does go party and you're focused on doing this other thing that doesn't really align with that? I don't think so because I had uh, a lot of friends at dance who were kind of of the same mindset. And then, I mean, and I had friends at school. It's just... I just, you know, I don't think they could really, to- they just w- we couldn't relate to me at that on that. But it was fine. Like I didn't, it wasn't really a problem because I had other friends who I danced with. So I had like the school friends, the dance friends. And then at a, there was like a certain point sort of in my 20s and I wondered, oh, maybe I missed out being so focused on dancing. And I kind of relaxed for a while and, you know, did more of the quote unquote party stuff. And I thought, this is so lame. I, I did not miss out on anything. <laughs> so. I think that's important for people to hear that realization right there. Cause I think so many people, you hear it a lot with college. People will say, Oh, I regret not going to college or I regret, you know, I'm in a weird space doing this because all my free time is this. So it's not going out to the bars. It's not going and partying with friends. It's not doing these other things. It's this. And if I'm not doing a podcast, I'm editing a podcast or I'm working on getting a next guest for the podcast or going back over old footage to clip things. So it's always this and then it's everything else. And you recognize with people who don't have something like that, they just have all this free time. They could just go do whatever. Like they're, they get home and they could just watch Netflix for two hours or go out on a Wednesday night or go do this stuff because they don't have something that they're trying that consumes all of their time in that way. They're not necessarily 
I don't want to phrase it like they're not building something because maybe they're building a career or they're doing these other stuff, but it's just weird. I've noticed that, that they just have this time, this time of, oh, I can do whatever I want right now. I get off work and then I just go to bed and like, <laughs> that could just be my night. And then I get up tomorrow and I could do something else that night. There's no, oh, I have to stay up dancing or I have to practice this thing or I have to cut this podcast or I have to meet this deadline for this external thing that's not motivated by work or motivated by my salary or some external circumstances. Just, I have to do this because this is what I want to do. Uh I remember in high school feeling actually sorry for some of my friends because I just couldn't, like, I couldn't wrap my, my head around the idea that you wouldn't be passionate about something. Like, to me, to be young was to be passionate about something and to, like, have something that you wanted to work for and something that you were excited to do with your life. And the fact that they weren't like that, I couldn't, like, it just kind of blew my mind. And, you know, oh, maybe I'll do marketing or maybe I'll do this. But it was like, it just, you know, it wasn't like a driving force of their life. And that's actually probably maybe more normal. I'm not suggesting, I'm not recommending myself as a role model or as a lifestyle choice. I'm just saying how I am. And, um, but I just remember feeling like it just was an odd concept to me because it was so not the way I was. Do you think that separates people that are successful from those that aren't? Or do you think it's everybody has a passion and they just haven't come across it yet to be all consuming? I don't know, but I definitely know in dance you have to be. Like the people who are really successful and have long careers, I mean, they are 100% dedicated and have worked extremely hard. And not just to get where they are, but you, I mean, as a dancer, I mean, it's the same with an athlete. Like the second you stop doing it, your body immediately starts to deteriorate. So you can't, I mean, even I always sometimes want to think about, I always think it's funny about actors because, you know, you'll hear these stories about, I don't know, like these, you know, British actors and, you know, intermission, they would go to the pub and they would get drunk and then they would come back on stage and do act two or something. And and I think, oh, my gosh, if dancers could never do that. You know, you have to be it is such a commitment. So and you have to. Always be working. Well, almost like athletes in that way that there's probably somebody grinding to get where you are, oh, that they want your spot. And so once you start slipping up. Uh-huh. There's somebody younger to come in and fill that role. Yeah. And if you're a professional dancer, usually your career is short. You know that you have just a very small window. And then, you know, you'll become a teacher or a director or a choreographer, but you're only in the physical prime of your life for a very small period of time. How long is that window? I don't know. I think it probably varies from person to person. It also depends on injury rates. I mean, that's a huge thing, you know, a a lucky dancer avoids major injuries, you know, and otherwise some of them get injured all the time. So, I mean, I think it really depends, but I mean, and it also kind of depends on what style of dance, but I would, I mean, I don't know, maybe, and perhaps maybe things are starting to change a tiny bit with, you know, a little more acceptance towards older dancers, but I, I don't know. In classical ballet, what would you say are we talking? Five years? Like at the top, you're with the troupe, you've, you're performing at this high level. Well, I mean, in classical ballet, usually by, 
the time you're lots of times you'll see like a lot of ballerinas starting to retire in their early 40s it, but it i mean again it really depends i mean some people get sidelined in their 20s just from injury or some other yeah, circumstance. Or, yeah, or they just decided they just don't want to do it anymore. I would imagine the burnout would be high. Yeah. Just like, again, in sports, where you're you're doing this thing and it consumes so much of you mm-hmm. that if you're not 100% down to sacrifice for it, it's going to start eating away at these other parts of your life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I, you know, I tell my students that you really... I mean, there. I mean, you know, a lot of times we focus on kind of the people who are at the, you know, the most elite and uh, how would you say it? Like the ones that you see the most of these elite positions, like as a dancer or something. But I mean, there's dancers all over the country in all different facets doing all different kinds of things. So it's, I mean, it's there's a lot of different ways that you can be a dancer or have a dance, a dance in your life or make a living in one way or another. And, uh, sometimes you just have to kind of get creative and be kind of look for your own niche. And, um, and you don't always know, you can't always look at somebody and know who's still going to somehow be involved in it, you know, 30 years down the road, because that great dancer next to you in class might quit when they're 18. Because they didn't, their parents were just making them do it, or they're just burnt out and don't want to do it anymore, or might quit when they're 25. And then somebody else, you know, goes to college and majors in dance and then teaches dance at university. I mean, who, I mean, there's so many different things that you can do. So, I mean, I, I think that uh, you just don't know. And so if you love it, you just have to figure, figure it out for yourself. There's a quote that I love, and I've said it a few times on this podcast, but it's find what you are passionate about and let it kill you. And I think that's the great way to sum up what life should be about in a way is you find this thing that almost breathes life into you. And then you just ride that thing until the wheels fall off. Oh, you mean until you die? Yeah. <laughs> or you, you die, mean of old age? Or, or you die because of your pursuit of it. I mean, you hear that a lot of the times with actors, especially is kind of fall off the or rock stars that kind of they go a little too hard and then they they're dead at 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I never wanted to live that kind of life. <laughs> uh yeah. I think actually that's one reason why at a certain point my life did change course because I mean eventually I realized I wanted to live a more balanced life. You know, I didn't want to li- be in be in my 40s like a lot of dancers and be my body basically, you know, in pain all the time because I blew something out, you know, by just over completely overdoing it. And, you know, I wanted to have other things in my life. I mean, I just, I think that that's really what started to, as I aged and started to get more perspective, I realized that I wanted to have a more balanced life. And I didn't. I wanted to have dance in my life and and love it and have it bring me joy, but I did not want it to kill me. <laughs> I wonder if that's just something you get with that perspective of time. Because I'm very much in the sense where 
I'd let it kill me to some <laughs> regard. You know what I mean? But I'm also at a point in life where I can let myself be consumed by it and I can give it everything that I have. And part of me wonders, is that a requirement to get where you want to go? Is you have to give it everything you have and you have to let it take a piece of you? But then there's the flip side of what happens if you get, it's that cheesy quote of what happens if you get to the top of the mountain and you look around and there's nobody up there with you because you sacrificed everything to get there. Is that still worth it to you? Yeah, I don't know. It was interesting. I was just at um, a dance convention and um, Wade Robeson was one of the teachers and he and speakers. He was an extreme, a very famous dancer for a while. He was, he danced with Michael Jackson for many years and became extremely successful, like won two Emmys and has done, I don't know, tons of stuff in Hollywood, you know, like big things, you know, like choreographed and movies and worked with lots of different stars and maybe even did an album. I don't really know his whole CV, but a, a lot of stuff and his whole, but he paid a price. I mean, he he paid a price for that and he he actually that was his talk was on how at a certain point he realized that for him winning had become empty that he had grown up in a family where um success was everything and if you're going to do something you be the best and you win and that that's just how he was raised that was the kind of the driving force and at a certain point he realized I keep having all these successes, but then I'll have this rush and then I feel empty. So I feel like I have to have the next big success. And so he had kind of gotten to a point in his life where he sort of stepped back from it and had to philosophically reset, I think. It's almost it wasn't like doing drugs when you put it like that. Oh, That's how he put up. it. Yeah, you're yeah, going to ride the high and mm -hmm. then yeah. you crash and you got to do it again. You get the dopamine rush and then... So it was, and it was interesting. And so he was, you know, really reflecting on like, what does it mean to win? And how do you have a healthy relationship with that? Do you think that you can find balance and still be successful or still be great? I think there's a difference between finding success for you and then rising to that 0.01% of whatever you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I think there's lots of people that are. I think lots of times the people that we hear about are the people that aren't able to find the balance and they crash. They're and the crazy ones. They're the crazy ones. And that's why we hear about them. But the people who have figured out how to like find a balance, they're just living their life. So you don't hear about them. They don't necessarily want you to hear about them. They just want to work, do their work. Yeah, and stay low key. They didn't crash into a burning ball of fire that's why they're not mm -hmm. all over social media and you don't hear about them yeah. facing these things they still want to have their you know happy marriage raise their family i don't know take a vacation once in a while and and usually if they really love what they do continue to grow and explore in whatever field they work in so was that kind of for you realizing that is kind of what shifted your direction instead of dancing how you had been dancing, you then came up with the Academy and kind of went down that path. Yeah, I think I I just realized that it was like... Had it lost some of its flair or you just realized there were, per, there were certain elements of life that you wanted to pursue outside of dance? I think it was more that I just felt like... 
for me, it for me and in some ways, maybe some of my needs and personality, it wasn't sustainable. And it was, you know, I was, it was like, I was not going to be able to keep it up. And my, and, and so I think I, I had, but when I, when we had moved up here, I was sort of at a point where I was trying to figure out what, what I was going to do exactly or how it was going to fit into my life. You know, I was kind of, I wouldn't say drifting, but I had, I wasn't sure yet what else, you know, where to go, take, take it, I think. But I was definitely like not interested in, I didn't want to live in a gigantic city again. I didn't, you know, I didn't really, I don't enjoy living under a lot of stress and pressure. So I think I was trying to figure out how to have it in my life in a way that worked for me and that made me happy. And where you could find that balance you were looking for. Yeah, where I could find the balance and where I felt like I could kind of do it my way. I mean, the interesting thing is I never really wanted to own a dance. I mean, it's not that I didn't want to. I just never occurred to me. Like, I didn't even know that was a job, really. And um, But I was always paying attention and taking mental notes about what teachers did that I liked or that I didn't like or how things were run that I thought. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the entertainment world that I disagree with. And, you know, so I was just, I remember always paying, really paying attention and taking notes, almost like uh, for the future, even though I don't know what that would, yeah, I didn't know what that was. But it really has played out because now it's over the years become very intentional of, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to do that. Sometimes seeing the roads that you don't want to go down is just as important as seeing the one that you do. Mm-hmm. Like taking notes from people that are in positions you wouldn't want to be in, you can learn from that. Yeah. You can say, okay, not gonna make, I'm not going to fall down those footsteps because I know that's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I learn the most from watching da- bad da- dance performances because I'm, I'm just <laughs> making all these notes. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. That looks awful. I have to remember, never do that. That does not work. <laughs> So it's funny. Sometimes I'll learn more from that than I will from actually watching something that's great and flawless because then sometimes you, it's so perfect, you don't even know where to, you know, what to take from it. Yeah. Whereas if it's bad, you could say, yeah, yeah. that right there at moment 315, I'm not going to do that one again. Mental notes. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy how sometimes life just works out in a weird way. Even if you can't see the direction that you're going, as long as you're moving forward, you're making progress in some way. You're, you're working towards that subliminal goal. And then you just wake up one day and you're, you're there. You put in the work and you kept taking steps and then you can take a breath and say, oh, wow, I've, I've made it to this point that I never thought I would be in. Yeah. And I mean, I don't really feel like I've made it, honestly, to anywhere. <laughs> I just feel like I just kind of do my thing. I really like being my own boss. I like, I always like to challenge myself and try something new. For example, like coming here today, you know, I've never been on a podcast, but it's just something new. And so, and it's interesting. Um, So I think that's, that is what keeps life interesting to me than feeling like I'm getting somewhere because that almost feels static. Like, oh, I'm, then, I'm, then you're there and then what? That's boring. So it's more like, 
okay, well, we did that. Well, now how can we make that better? Or well, now what could we do? So, I mean, we're going to Portugal this summer, my, taking some of my dancers and my teachers, and we're dancing. And it's like, well, I've never done that before. Let's go for it. I have no idea what it's going to be like, but it will be interesting. And is it for a competition over there? No, is it just it's, for learning? It's, it's for learning. It's a like a cross-cultural dance exchange. So, uh there, you know, we will take from their teachers and their students will take from us. And then we're going to do a collaborative dance performance. They have five. I'm actually the one choreographing the dance. So it's like 20 dancers, half American, half Portuguese. They'll have five rehearsals to learn it. And then we perform it. That'll and, be exciting. Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, it's like it's it's a wonderful new challenge. How hard is it coming up with a dance routine? Is this for ballet? You guys are going over there? Uh, well, um, I mean, we do everything. There, the school that is there that we're going to is uh, it's certified by the Royal Academy of Dance. So they are, for the most part, strictly ballet. They do some contemporary, though contemporary is a very broad term. So I'm not. They're like what they term what their contemporary dancing looks like could look very different from what we do with contemporary. So that will be interesting. Um, but we're going to, so they'll be doing mostly ballet classes and point and some contemporary, and then we'll be um, doing hip hop and jazz and kind uh, of a mix of everything. Yeah. Uh-huh. Then the dance I made a choreograph will be, I would say sort of a contemporary ballet kind of style. Some sometimes I don't know. Sometimes dances are hard. Sometimes they're really hard to choreograph, and sometimes they happen a little, you know, easily. I don't know. But when you've been choreographing dances for over twenty years, <laughs> whoo, <laughs> you have to sometimes really try to challenge yourself to come up with some new ideas. <laughs> what do you have a process for it? Do you just sit down and kind of replay what you've done or what you've seen to kind of pull something together? Well, I mean, it really depends on what it's for. So, like, little kid dances for a recital, I mean, those are easy because, you know, their skills are still really limited. And you're kind of using the dance to teach them basic te technique or musicality. And so those are easy. And, and they, for the most part, they tend to eventually all look rather the same. Um, competition dances are you ha they have to be good so you they, those take a lot of time though my favorite process is i have some uh dancers who grew up dancing with i mean they trained with me now they're young adults and they're really good and i i like to kind of have a general idea and then we rehearse and it just sort of evolves organically and that's my favorite way to work because I feel like then the resulting dance, it's it, it's more interesting because it's, it's not like I just sort of went home and made up steps. And, you know, I've worked with the person. We've sort of created it to work for them. It's usually a solo. It's to look good on them and to fit with how they move. And I really enjoy that. That's It's really fun. And that almost seems like you're embracing more of the creative process in a sense. That it's just like this thing that is coming out of you two being there and and just kind of letting it flow yeah i don't know but it's really fun and i love and then you you know you see them make it their own and perform it and it's it's a joy 
is it a weird feeling working with students that are young adults now that you had when they were kids kind of just starting out? Not really weird, but just a, such a deep pleasure. You know, it's, uh, I mean, it makes me very proud. I mean, sometimes I'll watch them dancing and I'll be like, wow, they are good. They learned that from me. <laughs> Got a pretty good coach. <laughs> you know, so that, uh, it makes me proud because I usually don't kind of think that way. I'm sort of a, like, take one second to think about something good and then I'm going to think about everything I need to do to get better. But uh, I'll just give myself a moment sometimes and just feel like, wow, that's that's pretty amazing. So I just it's just a pleasure. And it's um, it's also a pleasure because they uh, we work well together. So what ends up happening is that the dance studio, I think, feels very cohesive. It feels like we're all on the same page in terms of how we train students, how we don't know just how we approach it how we talk to our students what we it just feels like everybody's on the same page yeah and it, it's interesting because i mean because they've grown they know they you know they know how what my expectations are going to be and and what i think is important for students to learn they know why and send, and they know now that they're young adults are like oh yeah that now i get it the why that's so important and so then they teach their students that. And it's interesting because when people who did not grow, I mean, it's great to have new teachers come in because they always bring fresh stuff. But then there's also for them usually a bit of a learning curve because sometimes at other dance studios they do things very differently, which is not a bad thing, but sometimes it's not, I don't think it's what I want for my students. Differently in terms of how they approach a technique or instructing style how difficult they are on the students i mean all of the above and it just sort of depends on the yeah but since we go to co competitions which i mean i they're great learning experiences and the the um the people who are teaching they, i mean there's also it's like a convention and a competition so you take all these master classes and so the people who are um, running it and doing the master classes and judging it are, I mean, they're just, they're really amazing. And they've had amazing careers. They're extremely knowledgeable. They're very passionate about dance. They're very passionate about um, helping kids and teenagers to become better. And um, it really, the reason really why I go is because it, first of all, it keeps us learning and bringing new things back. And um, kind of we stay aware of trends so we don't suddenly look like we're doing stuff that, like, is five years old or whatever. Um, but it also reinforces for us things are really important for us to make sure that our students are learning in classes and at the dance studio. And a lot of it, it has to do with discipline and focus and hard work. I mean, our dance classes are not glorified babysitting. They, they are going to learn from the time they're three years old. And well, I mean, not, I mean, in a fun way, but they learn. I mean, you know, that's what they're there for. That's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in working with children who want to be there and are willing to work hard and, um, and put in effort and have, you know, and want to start to become more disciplined. Is that the hardest part is instilling that discipline in them? It's like, <gasps> hey, we're here to have fun, but we're, we're here to work. 
we're going to put in some work today. It kind of depends. I mean, some kids are just naturally that way, you know. You'll there's there'll always be a few who are just hungry for it. You know, they're like 5 and you can tell already. They're just they're just hungry for it. They're already wanting to be professional dancers or whatever. And there's others that are just there. It's like, you know, put in their hour of like a weekly activity and they don't really care. And that's fine too. You know, that is totally fine too. Um, but at this point for myself, the, the ones that I'm the most interested in are the ones that really want to learn. For the, I mean, for the kids that I personally work with and teach or coach. Well, I mean, that's got to be gratifying because that's your approach is I'm here to put in the work. So to mm -hmm. be able to almost disseminate the skills that you've acquired to a younger generation, I would imagine, mm -hmm. has to feel good and see people latch onto that and then expand on that and take that farther. Mm -hmm. And it's a little, I mean, we actually, I was just talking about this with, with uh, some other dancers. I mean, COVID was really did a number on the performing arts, but I mean, dance studios. And it really, I think, affected children a lot. And we we see it at the dance studio. So we were, I, we've actually, I've been having discussions about how to start to move towards, um, you know, almost in a way teaching a new generation of kids how to listen, how to pay attention, how to follow directions, um, and actually how to work hard. And that it's good to work hard. It's not going to kill you. Sometimes I feel like they don't really want to uh, anymore. More so than any other generation because of COVID? I mean, I don't, that is not, I don't know if that's true. That is just what to me it seems like. Not all of them. On the flip side, there were some dancers who stuck it out through COVID. Like they were doing... <laughs> The, those like horrible Zoom classes that we had to do. Oh my gosh, it was awful. You know, I mean, oh, that was really rough. I still have like PTSD for Zoom. Like I just, the minute I didn't have to do anymore, I deleted it off my computer. I'm like, I hope I never have. You were done. I was done. I did not enjoy that at all. And neither did they. But I mean, it was the only thing, it was our only option. But those who stuck it out through that, and through, like, all of the, you know, when we had to dance outside and then we had to only do privates. I mean, it's just been one or even just wearing a mask when you are, like, full on dancing and you're, you know, breathing so hard. So those kids who had the, the tenacity to, to, to stick it out through all that, they work hard. They're tough. And they work really hard. So I I would say it's more maybe new ones who are filtering in, who dance is fairly new to them or they've had some time off. And so we're kind of having to reinstill what it means to be in a dance class. I wonder how much of that translates just to everything from this generation for having gone through that. I, I mean, I don't know. I know that when I go to the conventions that we go to and we, and I talk with other teachers, I mean, everybody's noticing it. It's not, so I don't think it's just, you know, particular to, to us or our area that, and then the, the kids being constantly on social media. Has that had a pretty serious effect? Well, 
I mean, I've had friends who have studios who say that one of the reasons why kids don't sometimes like they don't want to work as hard as they used to is because they're just in there. They become accustomed to things um, to like instant gratification because of social media or not having to pay attention to any, you know, anything for very long, you know, because things, I don't know. And so the fact that, at you know, if you're a dancer, you're going to have to work really, really hard. And for the most part, growth is going to be incremental. And, and, you know, and you're just, you're going to have to stick it out through a lot of stuff. And that takes a certain personality sometimes in mindset or like a certain kind of support at home to help you to do that. So I don't know. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I mean, teachers are noticing things and they're, they're like questioning and they're trying to figure it out. Well, I would imagine the craze of things like TikTok dances has an effect too. Cause why am I going to go work to actually understand how to dance and put mm-hmm. in the work to actually be a good dancer when I can just do yeah. five moves mm-hmm. in a TikTok and pause it and then rearrange and just upload that yeah. and be fine. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> it's a scary time. You could just kind of get by with very minimal effort and just the scariest thing for me is living your life that way of just never enduring any struggle, never really challenging yourself, never overcoming any challenges, and then just reaching the end of the line and be like, didn't really do a whole lot. Didn't really do a whole lot with what I was given. And now it's too late because mm-hmm. you're old, your body's failing, your mm-hmm. mind might be failing, and you can't go back. Yeah. And now you're just maybe filled with this regret or maybe just filled with this feeling of wasted potential that you could have been more and you never really applied yourself. Yeah. That freaks me out. <laughs> that weighs on me a lot sometimes. Yeah. I don't, I mean, that's the one thing we, we never, you can, we can never have more time and it's slipping by like, you know, like that, like, that. <laughs> like it just now it's just slipping by, you know, and you don't get it back, you know, and uh, it's, that, it's kind of an interesting concept. Once that really sinks in, actually, once that really sunk into me, suddenly I became a lot more, um, how would I say, discerning about what I wanted to spend my time on, who I wanted to spend my time with, because I realized how precious it is and how limited it is. And as well, is that really worth my time? Do I really want to spend time on that? <laughs> you know, if I don't, then I just don't. I'm still working on that. I still <laughs> spend time on things I don't want to do. And I'm like, why did I do this again? Because you know, you anticipate how it's going to go. And you're like, I shouldn't, but I guess I will. I'll do this thing I don't want to do. And then you do it and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I knew I shouldn't have done that. I just wasted all this time. Or you get trapped up. Sometimes you think, oh, I have this Responsible, like you go do, maybe you go engage in something with a friend. And you're like, I don't really want to go to the, maybe it's a party. You're like, I don't really want to go. I guess I'll go. And then you go and you're like, I should not have gone. Like I could have mm-hmm. been doing something else. I could have been doing something more valuable with my time or enjoying it more. But you feel pressured or you feel like this is some social obligation you have to do, especially with family. I think that comes up a lot of, oh, there's a family reunion. I don't really like anybody on that side of the family. I guess I'll go. 
it's miserable. And then you're like, why did I do that? Why did I engage in something I didn't want to do? I got the result that I expected. Mm-hmm. For what purpose? Other than to suck. I don't know. It's one of the challenges of life. <laughs> I'm sure every single person can relate. Still working on that. That's That still trips me up occasionally. More occasionally than I would like, I would say. I've gotten to where I I have a very strong sense of what I like and what I don't like. And for the most part, I know what's going to make me happy and what's not going to make me happy. Um, so... You can kind of just trust your gut yeah. and say, I know where this yeah. is going to go. I'm not. And I've gotten pretty comfortable at saying no. I, mean, I got to work on that too. That's, <laughs> another, that's another thing for me. Um, so, I mean, I feel like in that aspect, I feel pretty good. Well, I think that's definitely an accomplishment to be in that space because I don't think I le- I'm definitely not there. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people find a certain sense of happiness when they do get there. That seems to be an underlying theme is flex the muscle of saying no, do more of what you want to do and less of what you don't. And life just for some reason gets happier. Mm-hmm. I've also gotten extremely, I wouldn't, I would even say more than comfortable, like purely enjoying. Um, I like solitude. I am very comfortable not doing anything for long stretches of time. Um, and yeah, and that I'm kind of, you know, I'm comfortable being with my thoughts and that has made a huge difference because I think once you get to the point where you feel at ease with those things, uh, I don't know. It feels like it makes it easier to decide to make choices. I, I'm not sure why, but that's that's just me. No, I don't I don't need to do that. I'm actually quite happy being just by myself. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I don't know. It's great. We're my husband and I were going, it's on a very small artist retreat to the desert um in a few weeks. We're out in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing. And I cannot wait. And I'm like, he's like, what are you going to do? I don't know. I don't care. I'll, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm good with that. I think that trips a lot of people up more. So just the ability to be alone with your thoughts. I feel like a lot of people are constantly, I don't know if you would say chasing some social interaction or some social circumstance because they can't sit with themselves. I think you see that more often than not in relationships where people can't be alone. So they go to these relationships that really on paper, they probably shouldn't be in because it doesn't seem it's might not be a happy relationship, but it's better than the alternative of being alone Mm -hmm. and sitting with how you're feeling and maybe doing some self improvement. No, Mm -hmm. I'll just go. I'll you're, it's almost like you're doing drugs in some Mm -hmm. sense. No, I'll go get this high. Because if I'm alone, it's gonna be it's gonna be rough. We're gonna have mm-hmm. to sit with the thoughts, some uncomfortable feelings. But yeah, I might be miserable with this person. But hey, at least yeah. <laughs> I'm not miserable by myself. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I hear. Uh, no, I would. I if I would if it's not a good relationship, I would much prefer to be on my own. Like uh, relationships that are toxic are just far too destructive. Uh, destructive and it's a waste of time you end up just wasting your time your precious time your one precious life 
and somebody who doesn't deserve it or just is not a good fit. So, yeah, no. And same for friendships. I mean, I'm not, I have no interest in spending time with somebody who I don't like. <laughs> doesn't add value to yeah. your life in some way or you yeah. add value to their life. There are a lot of people that can just be draining for various mm-hmm. reasons, not even intentionally. Or maybe it's they need to work on some things or maybe you need to work on some things. And the combination of you two just doesn't click. Yeah. And forcing that doesn't help anybody. And it just wastes time because you're not moving forward. You might not even be moving back. You might just be stagnant, which is not ideal. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah. And I mean, I I think friendships go through, well, if you're friends for many, many years, they go through their own kind of arc. You know, sometimes you're close. Sometimes you're not as close. Sometimes you have a lot in common. Sometimes you don't. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, my mom, she's in her 70s. I mean, some of her friends, they've been, oh, my gosh. I mean, they raised their babies together, you know. And uh, and it's interesting now to see, you know, how that a lot of those friendships, they've had their ups and their downs. At times, they, you know, they probably went through periods where they just had nothing in common. They didn't really have that much to do with each other. But now... In their 70s, they're really close. They're kind of their support system for each other. So I don't know. Life is, you just never know. But I definitely have no interest in being around toxic people, I'll tell you that. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I mean, almost to maintain relationships back in the day was more impressive because everybody wasn't just a FaceTime call away. Whereas now you can just reach out and touch anybody at any given time. Like, hey, yeah, we'll keep in touch. Send a text every now and then and then. I know, but don't do people do that? I don't know. I don't know. If, I, I don't know if that's helped friendship or hindered it. It feels like it's hurt in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. That constant access. I mean, I suck at responding just in general to people. So I've, but that's just me. And I don't know how much of that is applicable to everybody else, but. I don't really like the fact that we can just reach out and touch each other mm-hmm. all the time, which is kind of ironic that I do this because I'm reaching out to random people all the time and saying, hey, come <laughs> talk with me for a few hours. Like, Let's just sit down and have a conversation. But this is my the interaction that I like because mm-hmm. it's face-to-face. I can read your yeah. social cues. We can maybe have an authentic conversation about something that matters to mm-hmm. both of us, whereas the texting and the social media and the, all of that just seems less personal, and it doesn't seem like there's anything... It's almost like a fake relationship in some regards. Like there's not any substance there. If I text you or if I reach out to you and just say, hey, what's up? And we talk for 30 seconds and then did that really add any value to our relationship? Did we talk about anything that actually matters? Yeah, I don't don't know. No, I mean, well, I mean, I'm probably not the person to ask about that because I don't like social social media. I mean, I use it for my business because... You almost have to. You have to. And and then I don't mind it for that. That feels like... Well, it feels like marketing, advertising, putting the word out there. That feels very normal to me, but um, I don't, but I don't use it for personal things. I just, I honestly, I can't understand why anybody would be interested in my life. I mean, the people who are close to me, I'm going to call them or, or like, like person, you know, text them the thing specifically to them with the photo or something, or, uh, I mean... I just can't figure out why anybody else would be interested. (laughs) 
So, and I'm not, because I'm not interested. I don't look at what other people post on social media, really. I'm just not interested. My The people who are my close friends, I'm like, well, they can tell me. I can go to their house and we'll sit down and, you know, have a cup of tea or coffee or whatever, have dinner together and catch each other up. So that's what I'm, that's what I like. That's what makes me feel good as a human and connected to another person. So I don't, the other stuff I just don't get. Well, that means more than just liking a picture on Instagram, commenting, hey, look like a great vacation. And then you just keep scrolling. But that's the world we live in. (laughs) I would not do social media if not for the podcast. That's my outreach is just posting clips Mm -hmm. and posting the podcast. But otherwise, I I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Uh Yeah, I mean, it's, I remember because... The, those summers when I would be on the East Coast dancing, so that was when I was in high school. I mean, my friends and I, we wrote letters to each other. I mean, I still have those. And um, I actually really miss that. And we put energy and effort into it because that was the only way that we could communicate. I mean, weren't, I mean, you long distance phone calls were expensive. So you weren't going to do it that way. And this was really, I don't even know if, if there was email yet, but it was like, None of us use that yet. So it was letter writing and we would do it. They would be pages long. And uh, I love that. And it made us feel very close. And I still have those letters. I have happy memories of that. I kind of miss that, actually. I'm interested to see how it affects people in 20 years where we go. Because there is a good aspect. And I shit on social media a lot because of the interpersonality of it. But there is something incredible about being able to just be in touch with someone and if you want to reach out you can there's not a barrier you don't have to mail a letter you don't have to go buy a stamp you could just send a text or like a photo or you can do that which is insane in a good way and in a bad way but where does it go from here i mean do we are we all just gonna start live streaming our lives and then that's how you keep up with your friends and your family is you just have this constant barrage of what they're doing at every second of every day. And that's just the world we live in. I don't know. Oh gosh. I hope not. I don't know. It's too bad. We couldn't sort of have both, you know, that, you know, you could have uh, the social media for, for those, you know, for sharing some things that, you know, whatever, you know, so everybody can see the picture of vacation or whatever, but also, put in the effort for the more intimate relationships. Maybe write a letter or make the phone call. I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. But it seems like maybe people will get to a point where they'll feel, feel that they want to try to go back to having both. And I don't know. Has social media affected the drive of your students in the sense that rather than work hard to be a professional dancer in some troop somewhere like on the east coast or kind of follow the same route that you did now they want to do that to be able to again go back to tiktok or to do it on social media and that is their end goal i don't know i mean i i I have no idea i mean i don't know how many of my students actually want to be professional dancers i think that they want the ones that are really serious want to excel through graduating high school. But beyond that, I don't know how many of them actually want to have a career in dance. 
So I'm not sure if social media affects them in that way. I mean, on the positive side, one thing that I have found very helpful is, you know, you can see all kinds of wonderful dancers at your fingertips. And that I didn't have growing up. I mean, you can see, I mean, actually as a teacher, it's, it, there's like tons of tips or, you know, different exercises you can do. And so as a, as a forum for learning and for watching great dancers, that is actually extremely helpful. So they can, you know, they follow their favorite dancers. And I think sometimes it inspires them. And they, I can like, uh, you know, if I find helpful clips on how to do something, I can, you know, pass that on to them and they can instantly see it. And that can actually help them grow as dancers. So in that respect, I find it helpful. I just don't find it helpful as a substitute for making meaningful connections with other humans. Which I think is what a lot of people use it for, is in place of those connections. Their, their only interaction with people in the outside world is through that platform or through that interface. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, is on social media, it's very easy to sort of just create... Well, I mean, you're sort of, what, a brand for yourself? I mean, is it really you? It feels so weird saying that. I, I hate that term. I hate it. But it's like, it's like a, you know, like how honest is what you put on social media? Is it really you? I mean, then it feels weird. Then it's like what you're like, your own publicity agent. And you're almost manufacturing this yeah. image. Like, <laughs> so, hey, this is my billboard. Like, this is me. It's but it's only bizarre. the me that I want you to see in some sense. Yeah, like we're all celebrities in our own minds and need Except our own nobody publicity. Actually cares. Like, but nobody, nobody cares. cares. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know. Yeah, it always cracks me up. You'll be, sometimes you go into the comments or something or you'll see something and someone just like spilling out their life story. And I'm like, you realize you're putting this out to a bunch of strange, like you're just, this is just going to live forever. You in this moment of you just venting this stuff and you just want to put that out for everybody. Like, what are we... What is happening here? And that's just what you do. And you keep scrolling. I know. I don't know. It's weird. It blows my mind. I am a deeply, deeply personal person or private person. So I cannot imagine doing that. I would be so embarrassed. But that's just me. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think a lot of people, well, I don't know how many people fall into that, but it seems like the tide is moving away from that Mm -hmm. where people are just getting more and more comfortable sharing everything, just laying it all on the table. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that goes. <laughs> I don't either. And it just goes out into the void. Has social media been helpful for you with your business? Promotion and attracting students or where it's still kind of a small community, you can, you don't, it doesn't really make a difference in that regard. I don't know. That's actually hard to gauge. I mean, I would say that the thing that helps my business the most is word of mouth. So whether that's happening in person or on social media, I'm not entirely sure. But I definitely feel like that is the biggest thing that um, sends students to us. Was it a challenge starting in Ferndale? Like, did you have any feelings of, oh, maybe I should do I mean, Eureka or Arcade? Or that's no, just because I had no business plan because I wasn't going to do this. I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's how it went. I mean, who starts a dance studio in Ferndale? I mean, that's, if that was going to be your business plan, other people would say you're insane. But that just wasn't 
you know, I was just going to do a class, you know, and then it was like, oh, a couple classes. And then it sort of, it just kind of kept growing. That's just, it just kept growing. And then once we um, got the Danish Hall and they have been so wonderful to us, then it just was, I don't know, it's just, it's a lovely place to have a business. I mean, I, Ferndale's beautiful and it's, it's, um, you know, it's peaceful to walk around there and, you know, the, the dance studio is just this neat old building. I don't know. I just like it. And the, the Danish hall, the, the members, you know, they've just been very supportive of us for a long time, which has been great because, I mean, especially during COVID, I mean, that was really hard and, um, you know, and they just made it work for us so that we could keep going. So I don't know. I feel like I've just been extremely lucky and uh, the community's always been really supportive and generous, you know, sponsoring our shows. And um, I don't know, you, you wouldn't think it would have worked, but some for some reason it did. And I just, I've really enjoyed it. Well, I think that's a great origin story. Like I just, I just started doing it and mm -hmm. I didn't really think too much about it. And I just kept moving forward and I think the stars kind of aligned and it worked out. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. Ferndale would, if I was going to start something somewhere, I don't know if Ferndale would be at the top of the list. It's beautiful down there. Mm -hmm. and it feels like there's a lot of history down there. But in terms of clients, you'd be like, oh, I should probably do it in a little bigger area. But it yeah. worked out. No, it did. I mean, the only reason why it was, it was we were living in Ferndale. You know, that was it. We were, you know. We just, that's, it was, you know, that was the only reason we were living there. Oh, and, you know, the lady that owned the gym, oh, you can use this space for free. And, I mean, that was it. It was like. That, just worked out. And it just worked out. And then we, for a while, we were doing our shows at the Rep. That was, a, that was you know, a very long time ago in the beginning. But, I don't know, it was fun. People were supportive. I hadn't lived ever in a town, you know, a small town like that. And I sort of enjoyed it. And uh, now we live in Fortuna, but, you know, it's, what, 10 miles away or something. So, I don't know. It's worked out. I really like it. It's a nice place to go to work and to spend a day. And it's peaceful. It's a little mm -hmm. more peaceful than around there. And yeah. And can catch your breath. Yeah, and I think for parents, they feel like their kids are safe or safe. You can be anywhere. You know, it's like... You know, the parents can go walk around or go have a cup of coffee while their kids are in class. I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's an, it's worked out and it's been very lovely. And I'm very thankful because it just sort of happened without any design on my part. <laughs> Some of the best things end up like that. Yeah. Do you have a favorite dance style to teach now? Or are you still kind of partial to classical ballet? I mean, I... Or is it kind of like having kids? You can't really pick your favorite. Well, in terms of like watching dance or appreciating it, it's pretty hard for me to pick. I mean, I really, I love it all. I mean, my tr my deep down true love will always be ballet. I mean, I just, I love it. And, you know, every Tuesday, Thursday morning, myself and several, some of my teachers, we get together. I do morning ballet class. And it's like, it's, I mean, if you've done something since you're four years old, it just be, it's like a meditation. It's so a part of my body and so a part of who I am that, I mean, if I don't do it for a while, I don't feel good. I don't feel healthy. Um, so I, I just, it just, it's very soothing to me. I love it. 
And during during COVID, like it it was it actually surprised me how much that I felt like it sustained me. So I mean, I have such a, a strong connection to ballet in that deep, deep part of myself. But in terms of every, I mean, and I feel the most, I probably feel like it's, I'm the most comfortable teaching it. I mean, I, I feel like I could teach a ballet class in my sleep to pretty much anybody. Um, but, you know, but I like it all. I think it's all wonderful. It seems like COVID, I mean, obviously COVID was a hard time for everybody, but was there a point where you were worried you might not make it through with COVID? I wasn't worried that I wouldn't make it through. I was just wondering, I just, I was just wondering what was going to happen. It, I, it took, I feel like this January things are starting to feel like enrollment wise, a little bit more normal. Um, but still not a hundred percent, not a hundred percent. I mean, and there are a lot of dance studios that COVID that did them in, you know, I have, I have friends that had a huge studio and I think it was in Hayward. And that was it. I mean, big, tons of students. They did not make it. They had to move away and go do something else. So, I mean, it's been really hard on dance studios. It was more just kind of wondering. It's not that I doubted it would ever come back. I just was wondering how long it was going to take. Because then you go, okay, so how long do we, you know, like how are we going to, you know, how much, what do I need to budget for? One slow year? Two slow years, you know. Um, so we'll see. This January started to feel more normal. Hopefully that is going to continue. Yeah, I mean, it just slowed a lot of things up, right? It was, I mean, it was just so out of left field. I don't think you could really even prepare for it in a way. Oh, no. It's just, what's okay, we're going to lock down. Are we open again? Are we, we're back locked down? But is that going to be oh, the same in six months? Like, What are we doing? Yeah. No, it was it's so weird. I mean, I remember like hearing about it, you know, when you when we first started to hear a little thing on weeks, the news. Just two weeks. Yeah, but like even when they first started talking about it, because I think they had found it in China or something. And it was kind of like one of those things where you hear things on the news like, oh, this horrible disease is in this country. And then there's always a everybody gets worked up, but then it never affects your life directly. So honestly, that's kind of how what it was in my mind. It was like oh, that's awful, but it's never really going to affect me directly. And then when uh, I found out we were actually going to have to lock down, I was like, what? <gasps> that's what? It was just this, like, I couldn't process it. It was the weirdest thing. Yeah. And then you, I mean, oh my gosh, we had to be so flexible if you had a business. So flexible. I remember being in class in college back in New York. And I had started watching the news because I was listening to this and I started kind of diving into the stock market. And I remember I was buying stocks because I was looking at it and I was like, there's no way this is going to be a big issue. And stocks were down. And I was like, oh, this is a great time to get in. And I just remember thinking, this is going to be over. And, you know, people are going to realize they're being dumb, selling yeah. all these stocks, everything's tanking. And then cut to, you know, six months later, we're locked down. Yeah. The whole economy is stopped. The world stopped. And I'm like, oh, okay, people, it's got a little real. It wasn't yeah. just a world away thing. It was, oh, no, it's coming. It's like the slow moving train. Yeah, it's going to hit you eventually. You just, it might not be today or tomorrow, yeah. but it's it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. It was a weird time. It was very weird. 
And it, it was kind of interesting to me. I mean, kind of going back to the whole thing of social connection because it's messed with that stuff so much. And um, But one thing that I realized was how much uh, like happiness I got or, or just personal satisfaction from – you know, like going to the post office and chatting a little bit with whoever was giving me my mail or then, you know, going, you know, Valley Grocery and seeing the same person who would always, you know, check out my stuff and chatting with that person. Just all the little daily interactions I would have with people that it's not like they were my, quote, friends. You know, it's not like we would go have dinner together. It's just people you interact with throughout the day and how actually they were so deeply meaningful to me. And I just didn't realize it until it was gone. And I missed it so much. It, it was, I, that just was, I, that was something that sort of blew my mind. Like how important those people were to me and I didn't even know it. It was a wake-up call in a lot of ways mm-hmm. for what's really important. Uh, I think that was a, a general consensus. And then it started to show me how on edge people were and how anxious people were. And then it kind of took a weird turn from we're all in this together. You know, we're going to, we're going to get through this. We're going to be okay. Everyone's kind of watching out for each other. And then it started shifting to we're all finger pointing. Everybody's the enemy. And I was like, Oh, this, this took a turn fast (laughs) and it got really weird. And everybody feels like they're on edge a little bit. (laughs) It's like, okay, everybody take a breath. We're going to, we're still going to be okay. Maybe we need to just, breathe a little bit more and mm-hmm. and recognize that it was a weird shift as just examining society if you could take a third person perspective mm-hmm. and look at oh man it was it was a weird time and i don't think a lot of people have come back from that still i think a lot of people are still in this weird mindset of people are bad i have to stay away from mm-hmm. people i can't get infected i can't touch people mm-hmm. i can't shake hands i can't do these things that were socially acceptable before and now it's like there's this weird uncomfortable space between people i don't think everyone's worked through that all the way yet no i agree i think it's had all kinds of repercussions that we have not even begun to to grasp or to realize um but yeah no i i absolutely agree and just like weird i don't know sometimes like very odd behaviors i don't know if it was just because it was such a stressor you know, on people. I mean, I don't know. I think it was stressful, and I think it was, it was something that nobody would have been able to see. And I think it awakened a fear in people that society is not this perfect thing, this comfortable space inside of which we are all safe. That, oh, there's, like, life is real. Like, you going out, you doing these things, like... You're interacting with the world and it's not always a safe place. Mm -hmm. And it just, I think it just messed with a lot of people mentally. Mm -hmm. And now if you had anxiety going into COVID, I mean, what, what it amplified it by 20 Mm -hmm. and now to try to reel that back and, and walk it back in a sense. I mean, how many people could do that before COVID and now trying to do it afterwards, realizing how chaotic the world is. It's just, it's Mm -hmm. almost impossible for people to work through that. Yeah, I know. It was definitely a reminder that we have, how little control we have. And that can be an absolutely terrifying thing. I'm not sure if, I mean, I don't know. I don't remember ever feeling 
afraid during COVID or feeling, I don't really remember feeling stressed. I mean, I felt stressed about like particular things like, oh my gosh, now I got to figure out how to do a dance class on Zoom. But I don't know. I was, I don't feel like that it like dramatically, it, it didn't cause me more anxiety. It didn't dramatically change me as a person. You felt like you were going to be okay yeah. throughout the whole thing. Or if whatever, I would handle Whatever happened, I'd figure it out. I would be fine. I mean, if I wasn't fine, I'd be okay. <laughs> so I don't know. I just, I don't feel. Uh, you didn't let it get to you in that way. Yeah. You were going to roll with the punches. Yeah. That's a healthy perspective to have. <sighs> I, I don't know, I guess. <laughs> I mean, when things happen in life, you sort of discover things about yourself as a person that you couldn't figure out unless you were in the situation. Well, I think about it that a lot. I don't think I would have started this podcast if not for COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's almost a weird feeling recognizing that out of something as chaotic and terrible as that was, that you could almost be thankful for it in a weird way because of how it shifted the direction of your life. Oh, yeah. I think that, I mean, I feel like, I mean, honestly, with so many things, there, I mean, you can, good things can come out of really horrible things. Yeah, sometimes if you just tweak your perspective just a little bit, you can see the bright side of a situation. Or just see that there are, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Life is funny, but yeah, I would agree. I mean, I I must say, though, that I was extremely lucky because nobody that I was close to me died of COVID. I mean, I was also in some ways had it super easy. You know, I, I, don't, I never had COVID that I know of. Nobody in my family got really sick from COVID or even maybe had it. My dad maybe tested positive but never had a symptom. So we were just lucky. And, um, you know, even though the business, like, went through really, you know, it was just diminished greatly and was struggling, I was never going to lose my home. I always had food. So I was also extremely lucky. So that I have to put that in as a, a caveat. It's not like I'm some super strong person. I was also ex just extremely lucky. Well, in the caveat of where we are geographically, I think we lucked out in the sense that had we been in LA or New York and the group anxiety was just so much higher, I probably would have rubbed off in a weird way. Whereas people here were generally okay, especially in Ferndale yeah. and Fortuna and went south a little bit more. Everyone was fairly okay. It wasn't as weird. I went to LA during COVID and it was, it was a weird, really? it was a weird feeling. It was like, mm. everybody was on edge. It was uncomfortable walking around. Uh, like, okay, this is not, this is not where you want to be. When do you think it was because it was ever, there was more people closer together? I think that, yes. Yeah, I do. I think it's the proximity and the amount of people in one small location. I also think that people in LA might be a little more inclined to be a little more chaotic than mm -hmm. people up here. I think mm -hmm. everyone up over in this area is a little more chill and relaxed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had people, I went running one day and it was, it was probably towards the maybe end of 2020, 
start of 2021, I was just one, running around town and I had a lady start yelling at me to put on a mask and we're just uh, like, I'm not even running next to her. I'm across the street and she's just started yelling at me. And I was like, what is, is she talking to me? What are we, what, what? And just vehemently screaming to put on a mask. And I was like, we're both outside. Like, I'm not <laughs> kissing you. I'm not spitting yeah. on you. Like, what are we, what? And I think it's that mentality was a little more profound down there just because everybody mm. was heightened. Yeah. Whereas here, you could kind of get away from that. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, maybe there's a couple of crazy people if you go to, you know, when you're on the plaza and everybody's got a mask on. It's like, okay, maybe we take a breather there. Whereas if you're a little more spaced out, it's people aren't that much of a factor because you're not stacked on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I appreciated was that, I mean, I have a really, I have a backyard. That's like, I mean, it's, you know, it's a decent size. I had some privacy. I enjoy gardening. Um, and we actually had a really, like a nice spring. That first, like I was warm because I remember getting tan because I love to sunbathe in my backyard. So, I mean, because I had friends who lived in cities or in San Jose who like could not really go outside. And that would have Literally me. because they closed yeah. the parks and they closed yeah. the beaches. And if you don't have a backyard, what are you going to no. do? Yeah, exactly. So that would have driven, I mean, for long stretches of time, I mean, that would have driven me insane. So, I mean, the fact that I could still be outside and work outside and, you know, you could still go out into nature was so sustaining to me. So that I also felt incredibly lucky. Yeah, I always forget that they closed the national parks. And it's just that's <sighs> so weird to me, even thinking about it now, that that's where, that's how far we got. That, no, you can't go outside. We're going to shut down the outside. Yeah. Crazy time. Crazy, crazy time. time. But we yeah. made it through. We're yeah. on the other side. The dance academy's doing good. <laughs> Enrollment's hopefully going to start ramping up. We made it through. Everybody's okay. Yeah. Now we know we can do it just so we can survive whatever ne- uh, the next crisis is. Or oh, God, hopefully we don't have one in my lifetime. I'm good. I'm, I'm tapped out on crises. <laughs> Got enough for a lifetime. I think <laughs> we could just, you know, a very calm next 60 years, I would be yeah. happy. And so you guys have the trip in Portugal. Anything up on the docket? Any shows or anything? Yeah, we do. Um, well, we have our June performances. So that's mid-June. We're, and those are going to be at the Arkley. Normally, we do those at Eureka High, but well, we also remember we had the earthquakes too in Humboldt County. I mean, this was just keeps racking up. (laughs) This was actually a kind of a crazy winter between the earthquakes and the flooding and the oh my gosh. But uh, so yeah, because they sustained so much damage to the auditorium that they had to close for repairs. So we are doing a couple of shows at the Arkley in June and then in July. We go, some of us go to Portugal. Well, that'll be exciting. Yeah. That's going to be a fun trip. I hope so. I mean, it's just, it's, I'm excited, but, you know, we haven't done this before, so we'll see. Well, I'm excited to hear how that goes. We'll have to get you back on to talk about it afterwards. Yeah. I'm hoping that it will be, I mean, it's like once you get, you put yourself out there, sometimes other things open up. So hopefully it will be the start of, uh, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? But I'm excited. There for the the con- the concluding performance, then there's like um 
a dance professor from one of the their major like dance programs at a university. She's coming too and bringing some students, and then they're going to do a new fifteen minute dance piece. So we'll be meeting all those dancers. So I don't know. I just I love it. When you've been doing something your whole life, you have to keep like finding <laughs> new ways to keep it fresh and interesting. Well, it's easy to see that you're still incredibly passionate about it. I think that's almost the mark of a good teacher is someone that hasn't lost that fire for whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that that is true. Okay, well, Laura, thank you for doing this. I really enjoyed talking with you. It was fun. Actually, it was much easier than I was expecting. (laughs) Yeah, once you sit down and you can kind of block out the cameras and the lights, you're like, okay, yeah, we're just sitting here Mm -hmm. talking. Not that big of a deal. No pressure. You're very good at, at making it very comfortable to get to get a person talking, so. Code word for not shutting up. But yes, I appreciate that <laughs> very much. Uh, we'll definitely have to do this again. This was really a lot of fun. Okay, thank you. Do you want to plug, well, where people can find you, where they can find the academy if they want to take a class, all that stuff? Well, uh, our website is ferndaledance.com. So that has all of the information about classes, um, the information about our upcoming shows, has you know, who our teachers are and our teacher bios. So that has all that contact information. So anybody that's interested can always go to our website and and reach us that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Laura, thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome.